Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words. So listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. So, is everyone ready for a terrible, awful story of tragedy? Well, good, because I have one for you. This is the murders of Tabitha Steeple, Tanner Craswell, and Mitch McLean. start today though I want to take a minute to remind you about the exclusive content that's available. If you sign up you get all episodes ad-free which in my opinion is worth the investment of five dollars a month but you also get bonus episodes which are not fluffy filler or just uncut versions. They are real episodes of cases that are meaningful to me and I'm kind of proud of the research and effort that's gone into them so I would love to share them with you but they do require payment which I realize is annoying. But you can sign up for like a dollar for like one week. Check it out. See if it's worth sticking around for because you can cancel at any time. Anyways, enough of the upselling. On with the story. Tabitha Steeple was born in Lethbridge, Alberta on October 15th, 1990 to her mom Renee and dad Randall at St. Michael's Hospital. Her obituary describes her as a baby full of laughs, cries, and especially funny laughing fits. She was very close with her grandma Evelyn as a toddler. Her grandma passed away, but she learned from her her good manners and always asking to be excused from the table before going to play. According to her obituary, she had a sister named Miranda and a brother Jason who both passed away. But I'm not sure if that was, you know, later in their lives as an accident or maybe as babies and SIDS. Either way, a tragedy for the family before another one's going to befall them. She had a surviving older sister named Teresa and two brothers. One was older named Trevor and the other younger one named Nelson. A large family and family was very important to Tabitha. She was an enthusiastic young woman who loved life to the fullest. She loved camping and pop music, snowboarding, dancing, and just hanging out with family and friends. She was funny and generous and very loving. She was excited when Nelson was born and became his protector and biggest fan. She was afraid of clowns, the Easter Bunny, and Santa Claus, but fearless in how she lived. At 21, she adopted a furry friend named Maya, a dog, and life was laid out at her feet, a pretty brunette with a slim build and a bright smile. 
Tanner Craswell was born December 14, 1989, in Prince Edward Island to his parents, Cindy and Keith. He was described as wholesome and someone everyone he met just loved. He had a promising baseball career joining the Leftbridge Bulls while attending Leftbridge College. His friend Robbie was quoted by CTV saying, He was a great guy, always such a great team guy. He had an amazing work ethic. You know, he didn't just want success. He wanted to do things that it took to be successful. His best friend, Mitch McLean's parents, Diane and Irvin, said goodbye to both boys when they graduated high school and came to play baseball for the Leftbridge Bulls of the Western Major Baseball League, each with the dreams of making the big leagues. Mitch and Tanner had been friends since their preschool days. Both young men poured their heart and souls into baseball. Both of them really blossomed socially after moving to Alberta. Irvin said of them, they seemed to draw people to them and everyone seemed to love hanging out with them. Outside, they were just two characters, but they meant business when they were on the field. But as dedicated as they were to their dreams of playing ball, they both always remembered to be kind. One Christmas, while their landlord was away, they decorated his house for him with lights and a tree as a surprise. And one of their friends from back home in Charlton shared that they were so dedicated to baseball that even snow wouldn't stop them from practicing with their little brothers. Quote, Tanner and Mitch would have a catch with them in the dead of winter with snow up to their shins just to help them out. That's the kind of people they were. Mitch had a laugh that was very contagious and would often belt out a song. His girlfriend, Kevlin Weeb, said he was always very happy. Everything he did, he was such a goofy kid. He always made you smile and laugh no matter what. And of Mitch and Tanner's friendship, she said, even on the field, they played second base and shortstop. They were right beside each other. We'd see them joking around on the field. They were like brothers to each other. Tanner's girlfriend, Shana Connor, also moved with Tanner and Mitch out to take business courses at the local college. She worked part-time at Montana's Steakhouse with Tabitha, and they had become really good friends. And Kevlin was Shana's roommate as well, so it was a tight group with Tabitha joining the pack only really recently. Kevlin said of Tabitha, Tabitha was always really nice and kind. Whenever I saw her, she was being a goof. She liked to have a good time. Now, Shana actually has a very interesting backstory. Her dad, Scott, back in 1982, had a girlfriend named Donna Booten. When he was in his early 20s, they broke up and she started living with a 20-year-old man named Warren Leach out in Napion, Ontario. Warren and Scott were friends, so this breakup and new relationship started. The friendship was kind of over, let's just say that. Napion was a small town, so they tended to run into each other, and there was often fist fights and yelling matches between the two after that. Scott says it was Warren that was jealous of him, that Donna still had feelings for him, um, but it could have been vice versa. Either way, there was bad blood. And this back and forth went on for about a year. Then one night, there was a party out in an open field in Richmond. Scott learned that Warren wasn't going to be there, so he decided he was going to go. But when he got there, there was Donna and Warren, and of course a fight broke out. Now, depending on who you ask, you'll get a different answer of what exactly went down. According to Scott, after the fight got split up, he was sitting by the bonfire opening a beer with a buck knife that he had, and Warren kicked him in the back, and Scott fell on the ground with Warren on top of him. Scott wrestled free and ran to a nearby swamp where he got lost and found his way out the next morning. Quote, I was wandering around, didn't know where I was. I was picked up by an OPP cruiser. 
The officer asked Scott if he was in a fight with Warren Leach the night before. I said, yeah, I was. And what's going on? And then he told me that Warren had died. Now, also, according to Scott's version, after he took off, Warren was bleeding and there was a time, this was a time when there was no cell phones. They were in the middle of a farmer's field. So one of the guys went down to the road to find help. Um, it took police 50 minutes to get there and the ambulance got lost. Warren kept asking the cops to get him to the hospital, but they refused. Eventually, he even offered to take his own car, but they made him wait another 35 minutes for the ambulance, and he ended up dying on the way to the hospital. But Lori Hodnott was a witness at the party, and she said no. Actually, it was Scott that had a problem with Warren, and he'd been stalking and harassing Donna. Quote, he stalked her and harassed Warren for months, trashed Warren's car, got to the point where he was going to take it further. Uh, he went to the party one night, brought his knife, sat there and bitched and complained about Warren, took his freshly sharpened knife and ran at Warren from behind. He stabbed Warren 16 times and then ran away. And it's actually a bit hard to get to the truth because it took a total of four trials. The first one ended in second in a second degree murder conviction. Then that one was overturned. And then in 1985, there was another trial and that one was a hung jury. Then the third, um, the charges were stayed, but then that was overturned. So he was freed, but the crown decided to appeal again. And the fourth trial ended again in second degree murder with a life sentence and no parole for 10 years. At the time of his final trial, he was married to Shana's mom, Sherry, who was heavily pregnant with her. Sherry had her doctor-induced labor so that Scott could at least meet Shana, and he started his life sentence when she was only 10 days old. And while serving time, Scott learned hairdressing, and when he was released on parole in 1997, he sent every dime that he could to Sherry and Prince Edward Island to support her and Shana. He has remained out on parole without any further incidents and feels terrible about what happened. And not a day goes by that he doesn't feel regret about it. So regardless of how it went down, he feels a lot of remorse. Warren's mom forgave him years ago over it um, for her own peace of mind. Quote, I've never tried to say I'm not responsible for what I did. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. I'd give anything to turn the clock back but I can't. And I know that the fact that I spent years in prison and I'm on parole for the rest of my life isn't a comfort to them. They've lost their son and I know the pain that I've caused them. I'm sorry. I'll always be sorry for that. And I just wish I could change what happened. The toughest lesson I've learned over the years is that your whole life is changed by a mistake, one mistake, and it doesn't change what happened that day. It changes what happens the rest of your life. Anyways, Shana's backstory doesn't have anything to do with the events of this story, um, but I did find it very interesting and I thought that you might too. And if Shana is listening right now and wondering why I went there, um, it's just because I think that the events of her father's life are a very good reminder to all of us that one event, one strike in anger can change many lives forever. Uh, there is another player in the story, and that's Derek Jensen, a 21-year-old from Leftbridge who was training in Edmonton to be a paramedic. He met Tabitha at a nightclub one night, and soon after they moved in together, but ended their romantic relationship, but remained living in the same home around October. So probably just until each of them found their new their own new place, I'm assuming. Derek was from a very conservative home. His family were members of the LDS or Mormon church. 
But as he got older into his late teens, he wasn't so much into the church anymore. And he became what I guess is called a Jack Mormon, which apparently is a term for Mormons who drink and the Jack being for Jack Daniels. Some say the relationship had been volatile and others say it wasn't. The Fifth Estate, which is a Canadian news magazine show, said that they had been able to get access to Tabitha's cell phone records and it showed that Derek had become increasingly jealous and controlling. But regardless, there are no police reports, trips to the ER, or shelters by either of them. So according to the media and the police, it wasn't a troubled relationship. Uh, Police reporting, Derek Jensen and Tabitha Steeple did reside together and had been involved in a domestic relationship. They had separated recently. There was no domestic relationship violence reported to either the RCMP or Lethbridge Regional Police Service regarding their separation or domestic relationship. Neither Derek Jensen nor Tabitha Steeple were known to police. However... I have been in a volatile relationship where there are no police reports, ER visits, or shelters. And believe me, it's a nightmare to live through. Um, So guys, if you can, document, document, document. Even if you aren't ready to file a police report or take the next step, write it down, document, and keep it somewhere safe or with someone safe. Please just tell someone. I will be right back after these brief messages. So Tanner and Mitch were best buddies and Shana was Tanner's girlfriend and good friends with Tabitha. So that's how they all knew each other. Derek was Tabitha's boyfriend and they had recently broken up. And so that's where we find everyone's situation on the night of December 14th, 2011 and into the morning of December 15th. Tanner and Mitch had booked a 5 a.m. flight home to Prince Edward Island for the Christmas holidays uh, for the morning of December 15th. But December 14th was also Tanner's 22nd birthday, so they needed to celebrate before catching their flight. And as most young 20-somethings can, they decided that they would head out as a group over to the Shark Club Grill in Lethbridge, uh, which some reports say was actually the Blarney Stone Pub, but it really doesn't matter. Originally, Tanner and Mitch had arranged to get their friend Kevin to drive them to the airport later that night, Uh, but they had a couple of friends that had just gotten back into town, so they wanted to stretch their night out as long as they could. So Tabitha and Shana said that they would take them instead so that they could stay out a little bit longer. Now, Tabitha was friends with Shana, who was with Tanner, but she wasn't friends so much or as much with Tanner and Mitch. She just knew them through Shayna and kind of more recently than obviously them who had all known each other from way back home. And this flight was out of Cal- the Calgary airport. So they would have had to drive from Lethbridge to Calgary, which is about a two and a half hour drive. And you have to get there like an hour before your flight at least. So they probably plan to leave Lethbridge by like 1.30 in the morning at the latest and you can't fly if you're drunk, so I don't think that the plan was to get wasted and then head to the airport. Sometime before midnight, they're at the pub, they're just hanging out, doing their thing with some other friends, and just by chance, Derek and a couple of his friends came in. There is no evidence or accounts that this was anything more than just an accident of circumstance, but Derek wasn't too pleased to see Tabitha, and even less pleased to see her hanging out with a couple of guys that he didn't know at their table. Now, there are really no completely reliable reports of what happened exactly at the pub, but at some point, Derek got into a verbal altercation with Tabitha, 
Now, according to one of Tabitha's friends, Kate McFarland, she told CTV that Derek lost it, lost his mind and pushed her out of the chair. And he was like yelling. But one of Derek's friends said that he did push her, but he didn't hurt her. I didn't see anyone falling off of a chair. And then he pulled Derek away from the table. Which to me is semantics. Pushing someone is an act of violence, full stop. Whether she fell off the chair or not is completely irrelevant. Anyways, after that little mess, the group decided it was time to head out anyways. So they all left in Shana's Ford Escape. But Shana says that as soon as they left, Tabitha's phone started blowing up with Derek's number over and over again. Now she either answered at one point or listened to one of his messages where he said, this night's not going to end well for you. I hope you know that. Now, it sounds like Tabitha kind of put it off as Derek just being Derek, kind of glad I dodged a bullet kind of thing. But it was a pretty good red flag that Derek was starting to go off the rails with rage. Derek stuck around the pub for a few more minutes, not very long. And then he told his friend, I'm going to go home, pack my stuff and go to Edmonton. Now, Edmonton was where he was taking his paramedics training. So Derek also left around 1230, giving Tanner, Tabitha, Shana and Mitch maybe about a 10 minute head start. Not long anyways. And the group headed to the guy's place to get their suitcases. Kevlin, Mitch's girlfriend, helped him load a suitcase into the SUV, gave him a kiss goodbye. And the group headed out towards Calgary around 1 a.m. And of course, Derek didn't head home to pack and instead drove around looking for Shana's SUV. They headed north on Highway 2, completely unaware that Derek was driving in his green Pontiac Sunfire looking for them. They were also unaware that in Derek's car was a loaded H&K 9mm handgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, and a Winchester rifle, also loaded. Uh, And he must have spotted them fairly quickly because he followed them for almost an hour to just outside of Claire's home which is a town of about 4,000 people just off of Highway 2, and it's right in between Leftbridge and Calgary. And shortly before 3 a.m., the group stopped at 7-Eleven just off the highway, either for gas or snacks or whatever. Surveillance footage showed the vehicle pulling in and Derek's car pulling in as well and just sitting there. And it's pretty clear from the footage that no one in the group saw or knew that Derek was there watching them. Shortly after, they pulled out of the parking lot and were back on the highway, so right around the 3 a.m. marker, Derek rammed the back of Shana's SUV with his Sunfire. Now, Shana pulled over and got out of the driver's side to confront the driver. They didn't know it was Derek behind them, so they were just thinking, like, what the heck? We're on a highway and you didn't see me. So she's thinking they're just going to go exchange information and be back on the road again. But suddenly she was sent backwards into the pavement from the force of a nine millimeter bullet into her stomach. He then fired two more rounds into her, hitting her in the shoulder and then in the thigh. Before anyone could process what had just happened, Derek walked quickly to the SUV and fired a number of times into the vehicle. Tabitha and Tanner were killed instantly. Mitch was shot as well, but like Shayna, was clinging to life. Shayna looked up from the ground to see Derek, who, assuming everyone was dead, turned the gun on himself and shot himself in the head. Shayna started to scream and yell for help. Now, somehow Mitch managed to get himself out of the vehicle, but only made it as far as a ditch on the side of the road before collapsing. 
Shayna knew that Tanner was dead because he would have come to help her if he wasn't. She managed to crawl back into the car far enough to grab someone's cell phone and dial 911. Tanner and Tabitha were declared dead at the scene. Mitch was taken by ambulance to the Claire's Home Hospital and then later transported by Stars Air Ambulance to the Foothills Medical Center in Calgary, but he succumbed to his injuries on the way. Shayna was also taken to the Foothills Medical Center in Calgary, where she underwent 12 hours of surgery. When she woke up, she couldn't move her left leg or her hand and had a breathing tube in. Her mom, Sherry, and sister Courtney rushed to be by her side, so grateful that she was still alive, but heartbroken for the kids and families who didn't make it. Uh, My heart is broken for them, Courtney said. She got shot three times and was still able to crawl to her phone. That shows how strong she is. And the doctors weren't sure what was causing the paralysis in her leg. They just stated that the best guess right now is that it's caused by swelling and it's a concussion of the nerve. Uh, She had bullet fragments throughout her body, which will likely not be removed given the risk of causing more damage um, is just so great. There is no damage to the spinal cord, so the reason for the paralysis is likely caused by the swelling, but we won't know until the swelling goes down. Unfortunately, Shana remembered everything from the shooting, and the events continued to replay over and over again in her head. The funerals for Tanner and Mitch were held in their hometown in Charlottetown. Kevin Kame, who was the general manager of the Lethbridge Bulls, made the trip across the country to be there. He said, quote, these guys were just fun-loving, you know, life-of-the-party type of individuals that just captured a room when they were in it. Just captured their teammates, their friends, other college students. They were just incredible young people. On the back of the program for Tanner's service was a picture of him walking towards the baseball diamond with the words, if tears could build a stairway and memories a lane, I'd walk right up to heaven and bring you home again. Family members of Shayna said of Derek's family and their loss, they are grieving for not only the three in the car, but for Derek and his family. Uh, They recognize that his family not only has to carry the grief of losing a son, but they also have to live with the pain of his actions. They are praying for everyone, including Derek's family. Two weeks later, little fighter Shayna on December 28, 2011, took her first steps after the shooting. Her friend Rob Dale said she's able to put pressure on her leg to push down on it. She's not able to lift it on her own yet, but still that's better than a couple of days ago. She did miss the funerals for Tanner, Tabitha, and Mitch, but she was hoping to recover enough in time to attend a memorial service that was being planned in Leftbridge. And she did, arriving in wheelchair with a button of Tabitha's picture on it. As for Derek's funeral, I found this a little bit sad. A representative at the Leftbridge Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is where Derek's family attended, said that the family would be holding a private funeral and that the church would not be involved. Tanner's Aunt Leona Turner started the Tanner Croswell Memorial Award to hand $500 cash each year to a deserving baseball player at Holland College in Charlottetown. She says, quote, I think Tanner would be really proud of that. I know he would. I think it's what he would want us to do. He'd want us to help someone else like he was helped along the way. And each year since 2011, the Leftbridge Bulls have played the TCMM Memorial Game against the Vauxhall Jets in honor of Tanner and Mitch, and the PBA has continued a sponsorship fund in their names. 
uh, Mitch's dad, Irvin, said, it's, it's amazing that these kids, and they were kids when all this happened, that they still want to honor these boys. And some of these kids now, it's 10 years later, and some of these kids didn't even know these boys. The Alberta government has been pushed since this incident to start a death review committee. Human Services Minister Dave Hancock wants a review panel to formally review each murder committed by an intimate partner in Alberta. We always need to look at incidents and learn from them. That's the least we can do for victims and their family. And lastly, ladies and gentlemen, police can only remove firearms from the possession of a domestic abuser if they're notified. So as hard as it is, if you have a jealous boyfriend or a girlfriend with access to weapons, you are statistically much more likely to be murdered by them than someone who doesn't. And the best thing you can do is report any and all incidents to the police. Even if they don't do anything about it, there will still be a written record of your concerns. And that was the murders of Tanner Creswell, Tabitha Steeple, and Mitch McLean, and the attempted murder of Shana Connor. Now, don't forget to hit that fifth star in the podcast just before you carry on with your day. Even better, take a couple minutes to write a nice little review for me. Those little gestures go into algorithms that make other people more likely to find the show and grow it. I will be back again next week with another case. Thank you so much for listening. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.